to a brand new podcast called A Link to the Cast. See what we did there? It's good. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, my name is Mark Robinson. Uh, you might have heard some stuff I've done before. You might have heard me in prior podcasts like Analog Stick and Faces for Radio. Uh, this is a podcast about video games, as you can probably tell. To do this with me, I have the wonderful co-host uh, from just across the oceans in Dave Ryan. Mark, I'm utterly honoured to join you on this maiden voyage. I think oceans might be a little bit too grand of a, a body of water, but you get it's, what I'm talking about. It, it barely passes lake status, really. Yeah. <laughs> and there's enough lakes between the two of us inland as well, with uh, our, our sort of choices of weather. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about video games. Uh, we're going to talk about current games that are out, what we've been playing. We're going to talk about the news, because there's always stuff going on. Not all of it always good, currently. Uh, and as you can tell from our choice of words for what the podcast is called uh, we're going to talk about uh, video games from our childhoods or maybe not even that long ago but if we kind of classify it as like a, a retro kind of game or just a classic we're going to talk about it break it down talk what we like about it etc etc and uh yeah Dave ryan start us off how, how should we start with this well i think maybe um we should set things off with uh, what we're playing lately. Kind of set set the tone, see what kind of what kind of mood we're in going into this podcast. I think yeah, yeah. It's just kind of follow the format of, of like all other video game podcasts, other than Giant Bomb, where they usually talk for an hour about absolutely anything else. Well, as I often say, the best ideas are stolen. Yeah. <laughs> so let's completely abandon uh, all pretense towards originality and just uh, fire away. Sounds like a grand idea. So, what are you playing lately, Mark? Uh, I've been playing Mario Kart 8, um, as I had been playing that a lot when it came out last year. And then I didn't play it for a, for a while, and then the sneaky bastards brought out some DLC, and now I'm playing it again. You see what they did there? It's very clever. Just, just when you thought you were free, they dragged you back in. With the shackles and everything. Um, but it's... I mean, I'm, I'm not one for DLC. It doesn't really do much for me. Um, but the format, how Nintendo decided to release this DLC, uh, giving us two cups, eight tracks, and a couple of uh, drivers uh, towards the end of last year, and then doing the same thing um, just last week, or the week before last, in the last... Well, two weeks ago now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also with the free upgrade of the 200cc uh, speed boost, uh, or, or sort of new driving speed. It's fast. It's really fast. It's it's insane. It's crazy. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, I think that out of everything they've done, the implementation of 200cc is just the best thing they could do at this point. Um, because it's essentially an F-Zero game now when you play it in 200cc mode, which is what everyone's been clamoring for at this point. It, it's probably as close as we will ever realistically get to another F-Zero game because they're not fucked making one at this point by from all evidence. Um, so... Yeah, 200cc. What I meant to ask you about 200cc was now I'm not quite the proficient Mario Kart player that you that you are, and uh, what I did what I didn't learn until this uh, this new version downloaded onto my Wii U and I excitedly turned it on was that uh, you need to get to the point where you have you've starred all the cups at 150cc to unlock the 200cc mode. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, I only knew this after the fact when I went. Where the fuck is my 200cc <laughs> mode? So I can look even worse in front of my friends when I play Mario Kart. And uh, a cursory Google uh, gave me the answer on that one. So how is the 200cc mode? Uh, it's great. How, how much do you? How many more stars do you need to unlock 200cc? Look, I'm not going to lie. Quite a few. <laughs> um, 
We'll leave it at that. We'll leave I have it mastered. I have mastered fifty and a hundred cc's. One hundred and fifty cc's. It's uh, it's it's coming along. I've, I've got a couple of stairs here and there. But, okay. Uh, well, there's your homework uh, for the week. Um, yeah. It's it's just it's distressingly fast now. Um, I like to consider myself pretty good at Mario Kart Eight at this point, and um, I like to feel that I've mastered the technique of drifting. Uh, and you know really using that to its advantage but fuck me is it not enough um because way before you could you know drift around one corner get yourself straightened up and kind of focus on where you're going next with this you need to pretty much have the entire map laid out in your head because as you're drifting around one corner you need to start drifting to go the other way so you kind of cut across the corner you're already doing drifting the other way to start dealing with the next corner so any sort of chicanes that you deal with are fucking intense to say the least um, and really, to get three stars on, on any cup, you kind of have to drive a perfect race each time. Uh, and that's not taking into consideration the usual bullshittery that is other opponents and blue shells. Um, it's not for the faint-hearted. I remember the first time that I went round a corner and I had to use the brake for the first time. And I legitimately hadn't ever used a brake up until I started playing in 200cc. I went to brake and then I looked at my controller and went, uh, what the fuck's the brake button? Um, found it obviously pretty quickly because there's only so many buttons to work with but it now it's completely thrown me off because I'm having to sort of drift and then start to use the brake button and that's such a alien technique that I have to do in a, a button combination that I'm having to sort of relearn how to play the game essentially uh, but it's good and it's great and certainly with the newer tracks as well like Big Blue in 200cc mode I mean Big Blue is just it's a fucking gorgeous track as it is uh, and it's it's good times. It's it's thumbs up. It's it's uh, yeah. It's definitely taken. I mean, you could have the arguments about what the best Mario Kart game is, and I think with this new mode and uh, some of the newer tracks, I think it by far now has to be considered the best Mario Kart game, in my opinion. It's certainly close. Like a, a half decent battle mode wouldn't go astray. You'd but, uh... think out of everything left to do, they would fucking figure that one out. You think they've they've absolutely nailed the game. It's it's borderline perfect. And I was just going to say, like in terms of kind of um, Nintendo historically haven't really embraced the idea of um, DLC or the internet in general. I think it would be fair to say. But uh, with the DLC packs, the way they've been doing it, the way they've been kind of incentivizing people to keep playing Mario Kart, don't trade it in, there's going to be more packs coming and stuff like that. They've been doing really, really well. And it just baffles me that at no point during the development of the game did they consider that what we were putting out in battle mode for Mario Kart 8 might be considered a steaming pile of shit. Well, you think they would have been figuring it out for, oh, I don't know, every installment of battle mode since the N64 rendition? You'd think. You'd think. Um, yeah, I I still I find it baffling, especially because we're at the point now where, you know, most people's online capabilities are at a point where we could probably play it pretty good. You, you'd think, you know, people would be just absolutely clamouring to... Well, they are, they are to play online battle mode. Um, you know, like, I'd g- g- gladly have a, a game with you and Jack and whoever else and, uh, and you know throw red shells at each other that's all i want to do i don't ask them much and crucially not chat to each other and not chat to each god, other god forbid human beings ever talk to each other over the nintendo network yeah and they actually make block fort the level of block fort and actually have it as it should be and not whatever wanky rendition they did for i think it was for the wii for the wii version or 
something around there. It wasn't very good. Either way, yeah, short battle mode out, and then, yeah, best game uh, ever, maybe. Might be a bit strong, but definitely best, best game, player, best game ever. Yeah, yeah. Weighty claim. Just throw it right <laughs> out there. The first game we talk about on the first episode, best game ever. Straight in. I like it. It's look, ambitious. Look, I'm black and white with these things, all right? I love you. Fuck off. You know, it's it's like that. You commit, and I can respect that. Um, What have I been playing now lately? I've been playing a few different things. I've kind of, with work and um, finishing up college and everything, it's kind of I've been dipping into things here or there. There's nothing I've been, like, um, getting overly committed to. Um, A couple of things I've been playing that I had some thoughts on. I downloaded the the night it came out as I was eagerly waiting for it, uh, Axiom Verge on the PS4, which I'm just madly in love with. Now, I I, I need to ask, have you played Super Metroid? I have. Recently, or in the last 10 years? Not recently. Last 10 years, yeah, I definitely say I've played it. Okay, not, like, not recently. How heavy is it on the, the Metroid side of the Metroidvania comparisons? Here's the thing. like It's it's clearly, the whole game, the whole premise of the game is a love letter to Metroid. Um, it's very clear from the very start of it when you boot up the game and the music starts playing and you go into the, the kind of the first area that it's very like this game would not exist without Super Metroid. It's just, it like I said, it's a love letter to the game. But um, who was it? I think it was Jeff Gersman's review of the game where it kind of, by being so like Metroid in the early stages, you kind of then you play through the game and it gradually, gradually becomes less like Metroid. They throw in new mechanics. The music gets slightly stranger Um changes somewhat it's kind of it's kind of hard to describe there are a couple of weapons in it that i i very much enjoy there's a kind of when you go through the stages you go into different kind of areas there are these kind of what look like um dead pixels almost like on a kill screen on an old arcade machine and uh, you eventually if you get to a certain area um unlock this weapon that by tapping i think it's r1 by tapping r1 you can use this weapon fire it at the pixels and all of a sudden platforms appear out of midair or if you fire it at enemies, enemies change behavior. So if they were firing rapidly, they suddenly slow down. Or if they were firing in one direction, they suddenly fire in another direction. This kind of a thing. Um, very much enjoying it. I don't. I can't quite tell how far I am through the game. Uh, Percentage-wise, in terms of like total completion, I'm not very far at all. But uh, I felt like I, like I've explored. I've spent a good, I'd say, the guts of ten hours playing the game at this point, and it's just. It's just gorgeous. The music is brilliant. The environments look gorgeous. The whole thing is just—it's a re- like it's a throwback, but it's something different at the same time. Uh, if yeah, that's that's basically it. it. Is it's a love letter to Metroid, but it's something new in and of itself at the same time. I found. How does it uh, control? Uh, does it have like does it play in terms of the combat? Does it play like Super Metroid, or is it a little bit quicker? Because Super Metroid, I find is. Um, it's a little bit more of a kind of thought process in that you really have to think about where you know you're shooting at and what you're going to be doing next. It's not just a kind of contra style, just fucking shoot at everything, blow everything up kind of game. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's contra quick. It's just you can hear me. Yep. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say it's contra quick where it's you know run in and shoot everything as quick as possible, things like that. There is kind of, it's a bit slower than that. I. It's quick enough. The thing that I find bizarre about controlling the game is that it's weird playing a game that's very much in the Super Metroid vein and playing it while holding a DualShock 4. It feels unnatural to me. <laughs> it's strange. Uh, it feels like I've gone like I've gone into the Wayback Machine and yet I'm still in 2015 at the same time. Um, no, it's like... It, it's quick. It's not 
too quick is the best way I can put it. It's um, it's good. It's it's great. It's I love it. <laughs> um, go on, yeah. I was going to say, how do you feel uh, having spent you know hundreds of of euros to essentially play a game from nineteen ninety four? It feels odd, Mark. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, when I bought the PS4, I didn't envis- envisage that nearly two years later, uh, the games I would repeatedly come back to are games that could probably run quite handily off a of SNES. Uh, the likes of an Axiom Verge or a Mercenary Kings or even Minecraft doesn't... Uh, it's not the... Uh, you could probably run that off of like Windows 95 or 98. You probably could. It's not, it's not the most uh, technically advanced game, graphics speaking. Like... Um, but no, it's uh, the PlayStation. The, the releases of kind of like proper, you know, this is the next gen AAA kind of release for PS4. It's been slow. It's been plodding. Bloodborne is arguably the first of those kind of new generation uh, AAA games that actually delivers on what it set out to do. But apart from that, it's been kind of it's been very sparse. And it's good to have these games coming out every so often, like an Axiom Verger. I have Shovel Knight downloaded there, but I haven't really dug into that yet. Uh, I, I can tell you about Shovel Knight. I, I can tell you some stories. It's uh, it's a grand old time. Um, I I was playing it on the Wii U, and uh, it's 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 too obvious to say it's kind of like Mega Man because everything that's a two D platformer of that sort of ilk is a bit like Mega Man. But it's actually a lot more indebted to the original Metro, uh, not Metroid, uh, Castlevania, because that is very much a slow, methodical thought out you know you really have to plan each attack that you're going to hit and where you're going to land because um like you know a lot of games of that era um you have enemies and they respawn in the same place every time you kind of come out of a screen and come back in and you have to really use that to your advantage because a lot of times enemies are in particular places where you have to land on them to get to higher platforms and you know there's usually secrets and, and whatever um that you need to unlock but because of the way the combat is, uh, you don't use a projectile. Uh, you have like a, a, an alternative weapon that you can upgrade and change, which usually is a projectile. Your main attack, which is a shovel, you know, it makes for kind of close combat, and so it, it makes the whole thing a little bit more intense. You know, you can't just pick off an enemy at the other end of the screen. If you've got the magic and the alternative weapon to use, you can do that. But otherwise, you have to kind of get over there and, and take them on. Um, it's it's very very tough. But the kind of main boss battles, which are very much indebted to uh, the Mega Man series, they're really, really good. Because, like, a lot of the the boss battles in in Mega Man can be over in about 10 seconds. Like, most of these in Shovel Knight take a good few minutes for some of the harder ones. And it's, you know, it's a very intense battle for all of them. Uh, It's proper kind of mano mano. And, uh, I feel like you've been through something by the time you've beaten the boss. Oh, yeah. Like, by the time I got to the end of the game, I... I hadn't been that frustrated in a good way through good level design and just just good overall game design in uh, probably since like Mega Man Nine and Ten. Challenged rather than frustrated. Challenged. That's it's a good way of putting it. And yeah, I it's it's my kind of game. Anyone that knows anything about me knows that I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. It's why it's killing me that I can't play Axiom Verge because I don't have a PS4 and my PS Vita is disappeared if off into never realm or something uh but yeah you can have a grand old time with that uh, i think uh the, the the last game i've been playing lately and this wait till you see this masterful segue here into the news segments um the l- other game i've been playing quite recently as i texted you about the other day is pt mm-hmm. pt the playable teaser for the game that was supposed to become silent hills the uh, hideo kojima 
Guillermo del Toro joint uh, and kind of playing through that because this week it was announced uh, that Silent Hills is no more which is the latest in a string of borderline comedic announcements from Konami that this game is no more it's being taken down off the PS Store if you don't already have it purchased uh, and tied to your account you will not be able to get it anymore so there was frantic downloads my activity wall on the uh, the PS4 there was full of people who had played PT for the first time petrified that they wouldn't get a chance <laughs> it and is then petrified when they played it it is genuinely might be the best looking console game i know it's only a small teaser but it is it's up there with the best looking console games i have ever played oh it's beautiful it is also despite how brief it is one of the best horror games i have ever played it is it finally gave me hope about the resurrection of a franchise that I used to dearly love. Like, the first four Silent Hill games, you know, you could argue maybe about the first one, the fourth one, maybe not so great. Depends on, you know, your own tastes, really. But I think everyone kind of argues at least that number two, if nothing else, is a benchmark of that genre. So, yeah, Silent Hill 2, for me, is the greatest horror game and one of my favourite games I have ever played. It is the only horror game... I, I, normally, I play horror games and don't really flinch. Um, they don't bother me. They don't... But Silent Hill 2 got inside my head. And I had both a great time and a horrifying time. I, <laughs> I seem to remember uh, loaning it out to a friend of mine in school at the time. So it would have been in secondary school at the time when I had Silent Hill 2 on the PS2. And telling him that he needed to keep a happy game beside him because he would need to take breaks every couple of hours just out of sheer dread. It's the kind of but, thing that sounds like Parappa the Rapper is probably a good juxtaposition. Well, when I think Silent Hill 2, I, I obviously the, the next the logical step is Parappa the Rapper. I think uh, my, I think my, my friend at the time he played was one of the early Jack and Daxter games. I think that was okay. his, uh, yeah, his bit of rainbow and, and kind of uh, sunshine in it his life when all it had all been drained away by pyramid head dragging his sword around after him <laughs> uh but the franchise uh, i think we can all agree whatever however we feel about uh installments one two and four or one three and four uh certainly took a dramatic dive off a cliff uh sometime after that and has really really suffered the likes of um downpour in particular were just kind of horrible 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 attempts at games they did an HD reboot of Silent Hill 2, 3, and it was just 2 and 3, on the PS3, and somehow managed to fuck Silent Hill 2 up, which I didn't think was possible. They kind of, uh, because the PS3 was more powerful than the PS2, they didn't feel the need to have the the kind of fog to, uh, to make an excuse why they couldn't render kind of assets further off in the distance, so they kind of removed a lot of the fog, which then in turn killed the atmosphere of the game. So they had gone back, despite succeeding with Silent Hill 2, they went back, not content to leave it be, and destroyed it. But when I played PT, and I think everybody had the same thing, where they watched the Sony conference at E3, where they announced this game PT, and they saw the kind of the kind of cringy, bit campy trailer of, you know, the kind of the night vision camera of people playing PT and getting the shit scared out of them and, you know, what the hell is this? Oh, I might download on the store later. And then you go to sleep, you wake up the following morning, you pull up Kotaku or IGN or whatever, and they go, no, no, you need to download this now. This is Silent Hill. 
and excitedly downloaded it. I played through it a few times, um, and it's just, especially now, kind of in the light of what's happening with Konami and the cancellation of the game and Hideo Kojima kind of being sacked, kind of being shown the back door. Uh, it's just really sad because it's it was just so good, Mark. <laughs> it was just so good. You you had some experience with it, didn't you? You played a little bit of it. I, I did. Uh, I'll be the first to admit, um, horror games on you know, hor- anything horror related isn't usually my uh, my niche because I'm a bit of a wuss, self confessed. But something like that, I had to definitely get involved with. Um, PT for me, if nothing else, is uh, a sublime piece of viral marketing, and certainly took into account oh absolutely the kind of new age YouTube gamer uh, and the response to people playing games on youtube in this whole kind of goggle box sort of new age world we live in which even i you know being a part of it i'm not really into the whole responses of people playing video games i just want to actually play the fucking video game or watch the video game but you know the the thing for me more than anything else is one of the biggest issues that silent hill and certainly the the later uh, um Silent Hill games is that you know there is a very big difference between the way that the Japanese create anything horror related and anything that the West create that's horror related. Uh, they have very different mentalities and methods and techniques and approaches to doing it. Uh, and basically, what I mean by that is they know what the fuck they're doing, and the West kind of doesn't. And so you had just a bunch of cliches, quite boring. For me, the biggest issue that Silent Hill actually has is it actually works better in the, you know, the whole reason that the original Silent Hill is the way it is is because it was technically limited to what it could do. So that's why the fog was there. And just, you know, the, the, the shiny and the sharper the graphics got, it actually takes away a lot of what makes Silent Hill the griminess. Um, you know, for me, like, you know, the reason that the original, the first two Max Payne games work so well is because of the way they look. And so for the third Max Payne, they kind of completely turned it into something else almost. Uh, and a lot of people didn't like that, but I'm glad they did that because there was no way they could take the core of what the original Max Payne was just because of the way it looks. And I feel a lot of that also uh, is true about Silent Hill as well. But, you know, and I think this is the big open question is, like, how the hell was Silent Hills going to be? And no one really knows what it was going to be. Um, no, because we've, we've, no, we've no real idea if even the little teaser we got was in any way related to the concept for the game. Exactly. There's very little to no story in that little teaser, and we have no idea, apart from the fact that we know it would probably look similar, it would, might have a similar feel we know nothing about kind of how else the game would have played out uh, beyond that. And that is a great shame in itself because, you know, I I read a lot of stuff about, you know, is that going to work over a larger stretch of time? Um, You know, there was a big conversation about alien isolation where people were saying that, you know, in in small dose, concentrated doses, that game was fucking perfect in terms of the tense and the horror. But, you know, over a whole game, it, it kind of flags in places and I was wondering if Silent Hills was going to play similarly to that or you know if it was going to use what was in PT or if it was actually going to be you know like a traditional Silent Hill game and be in third person but it's you know we will never know now and the hilarity of all of this is the fact that 
they said that Silent Hills has been cancelled, but you know we will still be making Silent Hill games. And I think, if nothing else, this is probably about as damaging as it could be for the Silent Hill franchise because <laughs> I don't know what they can do with the series that is is going to compare to what we had with PT, and then everyone's just going to be like, you know, where, where we're at now with Silent Hills is kind of even more bleak where we were before we knew about PT because where we were before we knew about PT was that we knew Konami was still a going concern. We knew more than likely there'd be a Silent Hill game eventually on PS4. We didn't know when, we didn't know what it was going to be like. Odds were, based on their track record around that time, it was going to be terrible. But then... They gave us hope. They gave us hope. Like, as soon as I heard Hideo Kojima, Guillermo del Toro, (laughs) Silent Hill, I was like, this is going to be win or lose. Whether this is a great game, a terrible game, it is going to be the craziest roller coaster. Because look, Hideo Kojima. He's a fucking madman. Yes, Metal Gear Solid is a great franchise, but he is a crazy, crazy man. And Guillermo del Toro, brilliant director. He is a true fan of horror. He really is. He's been trying like hell. He's like... He is a jinx to anybody that's trying to make a game with him because he was at THQ. Didn't he have a, a project going? Was it Insanity it was called? Where he's trying to make a game with THQ. Uh, that project was abandoned and obviously we know what happened to THQ. And now we have this. Um, one of the things that makes it especially depressing is that uh, for the first time in a long time in a Silent Hill game, they seem to have nailed one of the things I thought was most important about this the franchise's peak in Silent Hill 2. And that was, they realised that the thing about the game wasn't like how fucked up the monsters were. It wasn't how how much despair there is in the kind of the dramatic arc of what's going on with your, your protagonist or anything like that. The real thing about it is like, it was the town in Silent Hill 2. The town was the real enemy the town was twisting your mind and scaring the crap out of you and it was the most important character in the whole game and in all of pt you don't encounter a proper enemy per se i don't want to spoil the game for those people who have downloaded it at the last minute and haven't gotten through pt yet but there's only one other being you might say i'm trying to be really vague about this that you encounter throughout the teaser and you don't really interact. You have no weapons whatsoever. You're properly... For the first time in a long time, I played a game where I felt completely helpless. You know? Yeah. I was trapped in this house in what felt like a never-ending kind of Mobius strip. I didn't know what to do. The The puzzles were very vague. The, the game was not holding your hand, which is something I think we've gotten very used to with the kind of the last couple of generations of consoles, is that if you're not doing well at something or if you if you fail a couple of times, the game dusts you, picks you up, dusts you off, holds your hand through until the next level. But this was anything but that. But it, it finally nailed the atmosphere and the helplessness and the, the important thing to get about a Silent Hill game to get it right, about a horror game in general, I suppose, you don't have to confine a Silent Hill, is the atmosphere. It's how the game actually makes you feel rather than the challenges it puts in front of you. Um, and that was the, the saddest part to me. It was like, oh, I, was, I played that teaser when it came out and I was like, finally they get it, you know? And now it's kind of just, it's all gone to shit. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I guess we can kind of seg that way into the bigger story out of all of this, which is Konami uh, in general. Um, yes, the fuck is going on there? Well, 
if, if, if we set up a, a timeline, uh, people, I don't know whether it was on NeoGAF or wherever, started to notice that Hideo Kojima's name was being removed from a lot of Metal Gear stuff um, on Konami's websites. Um, Konami then, I believe, issued a statement saying, no, nothing's wrong, no, it's fine, uh, to only release a later statement saying that, you know, he's still employed, he's still going to make sure that Metal Gear Solid Five gets to market, and then kind of they trailed off and got considerably more vague about what happens to him and his team after that. But the damning st- the damning sentiment of the whole thing was when they said they were in the process of hiring a new team for Metal Gear. So obviously Kojima and Kojima Productions are going out the back door and in are coming a new team. Now, if you'd asked me if at the time I kind of... Th- thought to myself well look Kojima himself has been saying for a long time that he wants to kind of finish with the franchise he you know I think the last two Metal Gear games he said you know he thinks he's he wants to make the last Metal Gear game and be done with it um and I think some critics of the franchise would say that it's arguably better off in anybody's hands but that deranged madman (laughs) um but it's just that the way it was done was very um uncharacteristic of how kind of a professional business should be run. It, he's kind of just shown the back door without so much as a kind of, you know, thank you for all your work kind of thing. Then what happens is we start to hear rumors about, well, if Kojima's done with Metal Gear, is he done with Konami altogether? What's happening to this Silent Hills project that we've all been waiting for, that we're all eager to hear more about? Because since PT came out, we've really heard nothing about Silent Hills. We've all just assumed it's a going concern. It's in some stage of development. We don't know what. Like Guillermo del Toro, we don't know what the, the extent of his involvement was, but he had just wrapped um, a movie quite recently. It was a Crimson Peak, and he's on his way to uh, go into pre-production on the next two Pacific Rim movies. So we thought, to okay, maybe it's somewhere along a stage of production where kind of we're going to hear something about it by E3 this year, maybe. So the concern started to swirl that, right, if Kojima's not involved with Metal Gear anymore, is he involved with this game? And kind of rumours got to a point where, I think it was, was last weekend or the weekend before, someone at a press conference, uh, or not a press conference, at a film festival, asked Guillermo del Toro about it. And for the first time we got proper confirmation uh, where Guillermo del Toro himself said, the game's not happening anymore and it breaks his greasy heart. <laughs> Uh, that was followed up then by a tweet, I believe, from Norman Reedus, who was, I, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but Norman Reedus, uh, star of The Walking Dead, and the fantastically shit but brilliant movie Boondock Saints. He was going to be the protagonist in the game, from what we understand, based on the the PT teaser. Uh, he tweeted something to the effect of that, you know, he was sad that the game wasn't going to happen. Then things got even weirder, because, you know... It's a few weeks of news regarding Kojima slowly being shoved out the door of Konami, and then all of a sudden, rapidly following these announcements about Silent Hill being cancelled, we have Konami delisting themselves from the New York Stock Exchange, which I think for anybody who's kind of like a fan of the the IP that comes out of Konami was probably a concerning moment, because you wonder, oh, is it something to do with the financial stability of the, the company or whatever? What did you think, Mark, when you heard about this? Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not big into my finance and and that kind of thing. Um, and I, for for start, it made me think, oh, Konami, oh yeah, that thing, because Konami have actually been, other than obviously, 
the Metal Gear franchise. They've been pretty quiet over the last couple of, couple of years. It's um, it's pretty much it's it's Metal Gear and Pro Evo. Yeah, and you occasionally you'll get something that's Castlevania related as well. But I think kind of Castlevania as a whole hasn't really meant that much in some time. And people that actually are fans of Castlevania are probably going to flame me for that. But I'm just saying it as I see it. But yeah, you're right. It's it's pretty much they're down to Metal Gear and Pro Evo and. Pro Evo at this point, while you know the people that love Pro Evo love Pro Evo, it's it's fair to say that FIFA is you know the the main player in in terms of football and Metal Gear Solid. While you know one of the most infamous uh, video game franchises it is, it's still not you know that top tier peak of, of the franchises like your Grand Theft Autos and your Call of Duties. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that you know it's exclusively only uh, appeared on PlayStation. Whether if they had before, you know, expanded that out, and, and obviously like the Phantom Pain is going to be on on Xbox, but I think certain things like that. While I hold that dear to my heart, that you know you have your console exclusives um, financially, that may have uh, really not been beneficial to Konami. I don't know where we are at the point now financially with uh, Konami, but just all of these. Uh, all of these things that have happened lately, they don't seem like good things. Now, one thing I will say uh, from a financial point of view, this is me putting on the, uh, dusting off the old degree in economics and trying to take a stab at uh, predicting something, but like, delisting yourself from the stock exchange isn't necessarily the kind of, oh god, things are winding up, like we gotta have a fire sale on all the IPs quickly before the place burns down. Um, it Sometimes it is part of a restructuring process, as I believe somebody pointed out during the week, I was reading an article, that most of their business is conducted in Europe and Japan, and it does cost money to list yourself on the New York Stock Exchange, so it's possibly part of kind of a financial restructuring. Save yourself a bit of money because they're not doing that much business in North America on the Stock Exchange anyway, so it can be part of that. Also, you have this idea that they're making, Konami make their bread and butter at the moment through their kind of, their their mobile projects, their uh, pachinko machines, things like that. And um, the the kind of the nightmare scenario for a lot of gamers, I think, well, this is just my one, is that not necessarily that Konami will close down and cease to be a going concern. Um, because then, like, if the company closed down, they probably will, as I said before, have a fire sale on their IPs, kind of get rid of everything, get it out somewhere else. The nightmare scenario is that Konami pivots changes the focus of their business and rather than kind of sell off their IP and make a bit of money, they just sit on it and they keep the Castlevania property. They keep the Metal Gear property. They keep the Silent Hill property. They keep any number. They own Bomberman as well, as you well know. Um, they just, they just sit on it for whatever money they might make in merchandise. Obviously they've said they're getting a team together to make another Metal Gear game, but we'll see how that goes. Like, nowadays, making a big kind of um, AAA game for current-gen consoles is an expensive process. Like, you look at Destiny, a game that's kind of, it's a new IP, they tried to get it going, they want it to be kind of a persistent online thing, they want it to last for 10 years. It was something in the neighborhood of $500 million it cost uh, to get that game to market. Um, this is the these are the kind of like not quite that extreme, but like you're talking about massive figures. And if Konami aren't kind of happy to make game development uh, as we know it a priority going forward, like that is the, the nightmare scenario that they'll just kind of 
take Metal Gear, they'll take Silent Hill, they'll take everything, they'll just put it in a cupboard, and we won't hear anything from them. Well, there is um, there is the, 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 the statement that you could make that certainly, um, depending on where they might have gone with Silent Hill, now we don't have Silent Hills, that might be for the best. And... I don't really have an opinion on Metal Gear one way or the other because I've never been the biggest fan. But oh, know, it's a whole barrel of crazy, Mark. You got to get yourself on board with that. I'm I'm aware of the crazy. Don't worry. I've I've played enough to to have experienced the crazy. But perhaps depending on how the hell we get um, Phantom Pain in in whatever shape it comes out, that maybe it might be for the best that that is now finally kind of laid to rest because it's it's a Kojima thing, and without Kojima, I don't really feel that that should go on any further without him yeah it's like like i said like the cynical among us might be glad to see a man that unhinged step away and see what somebody else can do with that lore you know because the phantom pain is set to kind of tie up the last loose ends in the kind of the arc of big boss so kojima's story exists now as a whole so what do you do do you kind of do you reboot it do you kind of pivot off take another character um what do you do with that franchise? So some people were kind of intrigued to see, like, what will a team that doesn't involve Hideo Kojima uh, do with that franchise? Like, we saw, was it Platinum? They loaned the property out to do that Metal Gear Revengeance, which let's, apparently was a massive barrel of crazy as let's, well. Let's, um, I have opinions on, on Revengeance. Uh, I mean, the name alone pretty much says everything that you need to know. It's it's ten tons of crazy. Um, I don't think it's a very good game, but just look, nano machines, son. That's that's all you need to know. <laughs> but no, I, th- I think we'll we'll kind of leave it on this because we've been we've been talking about Konami for quite a while. Um, but I, I do share the concern that, that like it is Hideo Kojima's vision, and even if you might be interested to see what happens with Metal Gear when he's gone. Is it really fair to the kind of the people, the the fandom he's built up with the games? Like you know, like him or loathe them, it's Hideo Kojima is all over that, yeah. all over that franchise. Yeah. It is nothing without him. He is the driving force behind Metal Gear the whole way through. He's brought it to the stage it is. So like, is it fair to try and continue that without them and arguably bastardize his kind of vision for it? Like in times gone by, maybe kind of out of respect for Kojima, they might have kind of laid the franchise to rest. But at the same time, looking at it cynically now in 2015, if there's a book to be made off the franchise, they'll ring it for all it's worth. You yeah. Know? Well, well, we're going to leave that at that for the moment. Um, I think so, because otherwise we could be here <laughs> for the rest of the evening. Um, Indeed. So, Playtonic Games, uh, a collection of individuals that once used to work for Rare. Uh, put out uh, a Kickstarter for a, a game that was, or a project that was Project Ukulele, and now has been cleverly uh, called Ukulele. I'm still working on if I think that's good or not. Either way, they put out uh, a pledge uh, that they wanted of £175,000 to uh, bring Ukulele to Steam and, and whatever else they could kind of get out of it. Currently, they've made one million two hundred and fifty-five thousand pounds. <laughs> they passed the hundred and seventy-five thousand pounds sterling mark within forty minutes. Yeah. And now, yes, as you said, now stand at over one point two million. With I will add forty-four days remaining before the Kickstarter close. I, I get the feeling that some people wanted uh, a game that was made by 
you know, the the core of Rare back when Rare made games that people wanted to play. Just putting that wild and crazy statement out there. And it's it's lovely to see. I'm curious to see exactly what ukulele will be like because I didn't play Banjo-Kazooie when it first came out. I don't have the nostalgia kick with it that a lot of people do, that I imagine are the people that kind of got behind this project. Uh, I didn't play Banjo-Kazooie till it came out on the Xbox 360 on its uh, live market. And I I do like it and I appreciate what it is. Um, I think that that kind of collectathon type game doesn't hold up as well these days because I just think you need to have so much more to hold a person's interest and I just think there's just so much more that you can do with a game like that. So I'll be curious to see, you know, just what ukulele ends up being. But either way, it's really cool that, you know, the... I mean, the simple fact is that if you think about Rare in the 90s, if you was to ask 100 people, like, their top 10 games, I would probably... I would put a small sum of money that there'll be at least one rare game within all of those top 10 lists whether it's anything from the n64 your golden eyes um project darks conquers bad third a banjo kazooie or whatever it's anything from the snares donkey kong countries it's just they could not do any wrong in the 90s and then microsoft bought them out and they could not do any right besides viva pinata which i fucking hope that we get something else from that series at some point but it's just it's lovely to see and i hope that it i mean well i mean it's gonna come out and it's gonna be whatever it is will be whatever it is but it's uh it's just good to see i'm just happy to see that you know so much money has been put into a project so quickly I know, it's amazing. Like, I come from a slightly different kind of perspective than you because I do have that nostalgic value. I fucking love Banjo-Kazooie. I remember distinctly um, a little story from uh, Dave's youth here that I went down to the local newsagent while my mom was in doing the shopping and made them put aside a copy of the strategy guide for Banjo-Kazooie for me. Um, Therefore, kind of haranguing my mother into having to buy it for me because it had already been put aside. And pouring through these pictures from the game before the game even came out and then being so excited to play it. And I loved it. And I played it over and over and over again. And I came back to it in the last couple of years. And for me, anyway, at least, like it could be part of that kind of nostalgia value that I see it through rose-colored glasses, but it still holds up for me. Um, And, like, let's not dance around it. Ukulele is Banjo-Kazooie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It is. Down to the logo. You know, the ukulele logo, it is not exactly a million miles away from the Banjo-Kazooie logo. Um, if you watch on their Kickstarter page, um, Play- on Playtonic's Kickstarter page for ukulele, uh, about half the video is spent going, okay, yeah, no, in fairness, it is similar to Banjo-Kazooie, but it's not as well. You know, when you see two characters and one of them's a bigger character, one of them sits on the other's shoulders and it's a winged character, you're it's immediately it's banjo kazooie the feel of the game the music of all banjo kazooie and i am absolutely fine with that the, the sound effects that Laylee makes is exactly the same as kazooie like i swear they just took that sound by it that that music file clip and just ripped it straight out even down to the uh, the limited kind of flapping animation is is very similar um obviously not as broad a wingspan or anything like that but it is kind of it's it's so reminiscent of it and it's such a kind of nostalgia trip and 
look, I, I hope it comes out and it's great. I'm very hopeful for it. I know better in 2015 than to assume it's going to be fantastic. Um, but, you know, when you pour through this Kickstarter page, and I suppose it is the goal of the Kickstarter page, it wants to make the game sound as great as possible. But when when you hear things like about, there's a, there's a whole section on this page about the soundtrack they're going to make for it. And just kind of dropping names left, right and center, like um, some of gaming's greatest composers. So they talk about that they're going to have the composer from Donkey Kong Country on... Um, the composer from Viva Pinata and Goldeneye, like these names, it just, it, it stirs up the nostalgia. And, and you know, I, I really want to succeed. I really want the throwback to that era of rare. Um, when, like you said, I think like if I were hard pushing, I'd sit down and come up with a list of my favorite games. You're going to find a, a fair few rare games on there, but yeah, it's, um, I'm really glad to see it. Um, I don't know what I make of the whole kind of the, the idea of, uh, kickstarting games because i know a lot of people have been burned in the past by projects that kind of got funded and then you didn't hear so much from them after that but um yeah no hopeful at the moment cautiously optimistic i would describe myself as being well i think it's fair to say that this will come out i mean the the video footage that they've got the gameplay footage that they've got already um after a short amount of time uh i mean it looks absolutely beautiful it was uh created using unity which is uh a, a game engine that i even know a few things about and um you know, I've I've got full hopes and and a healthy amount of optimism that what will come out will be, you know, it will be a completed game. It'll be obviously whether it's it's good or not will be the key thing. But um, you know, they're going to really see this through to the end with uh, the, the spirit of Banjo Kazooie in mind. And believe me, when I was saying what I was saying about Banjo Kazooie, that I don't have ill feelings towards the game. I did like it a lot, um, and I certainly think that. If 13, 14 year old me was playing it, I'd have absolutely, you know, loved it to pieces. Uh, I just didn't have that that kind of nostalgic kick with me. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with the way things look about it. Uh, any other bits of news that we need to quickly talk um, about just, before we? Yeah, just a, just a small couple of things. We'll uh, we'll breeze right through it. Um, just want to ask for your your thoughts on this. We have in the last couple of weeks we've announced that both. Uh, Rock Band 4 and Guitar Hero Live are going to be hitting the shelves uh, at some point in the foreseeable future. Now, Mark, I don't know about you, but I thought we were past this. I thought we had all grown up, we were past this, having to pay for a full-price game and having to pay maybe twice the cost of the game again to get a set of plastic instruments that we'll all play for about four or five months, if that have a great time, then forget about it. What do you think of the kind of, what we know so far about the return of these uh, peripheral fests? Well, look, everything goes in circles, and we'd kind of burnt ourselves out with the kind of party music peripheral genre of video games. And don't get me wrong, that I fucking played the hell out of Guitar Hero and Rock Band back in the day. I had oh, like, okay, yeah, Absolutely. Like, I think uh, Guitar Hero 3 was one of the games I got with my PS3 at the time. And look, it was a great time for a little while, like get, getting through um, the game. Get, look, nothing compares to the first time you get your plastic guitar out, think you're like the god of rock and play a bit of Knights of Cydonia. Look, it's a great time. Everyone's having fun. But at the same time, you know, as the games went on and just kind of nothing new was happening and... The one thing I will always say about uh, Rock Band, and particularly now when we go into Rock Band 4, is that I believe it's confirmed that your kind of your DLC purchases for Rock Band are going to carry over to the new Rock Band, which I think is excellent. That kind of like 
to tempt people who might be lapsed fans of the genre who kind of feel like they've been burned before so like what's the point in having to buy new instruments and stuff like that knowing that these people are going to be able to return and have like a full catalogue of music um already at their disposal is quite cool but um yeah, I'm a, I don't know. I'm just not entirely sold on it as a going concern anymore. I just think the thing that those kind of games, you know, they're not dependent on new generations of hardware and, and graphical upgrades. You know, what you get from a Guitar guitar Hero or a Rock Band game is pretty much going to be the same thing out and out every time. And it, I just, I don't see what advancements you can really add, or what improvements you can add now that didn't already exist i just i just think it's the case of you know it's been a while since those games have really been front and center uh in in you know the, the video game hierarchy and the upper echelon and i just think that maybe they're thinking you know we can kind of get back to where we were before and reach our glory is but i just i kind of think of it like rick flair you know thinking that he can return to you know he's the prime of his youth but really he's a 65 year old man and uh in his underwear and it's not yeah. quite <laughs> as as glorious as it once was yeah look i like some of the stuff they've done with the revamp of guitar hero and I will, we'll kind of we'll, we'll start to wrap it up on this topic because again this is something we could talk about for a while but um i like some of the stuff that i've seen from the kind of preview videos of guitar hero 4 where like the display uh, the guitar hero 4 the guitar hero live um, where the display looks very clean. They've redesigned the guitar, the plastic guitar. So there's kind of there's three buttons on top, three on the bottom now. I, I like the way it looks. I like the kind of... A lot of people aren't sold on the full motion video as being in the background. But I think it's it's interesting what they're doing with it. That as soon as you start uh, hitting a few bum notes here and there, that the crowd dissolves away and becomes a booing crowd and stuff like that. I think it's quite interesting. But honestly, for my money, I don't think it's enough for me to put down like over a hundred euro uh, to get a new guitar or guitar in the game. It's uh, so far. I, I allow myself to be impressed. If I see more stuff, I'm 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 open to being persuaded, but I, I'm not so sure right now. Yeah, that's I'm I'm more or less of the same feelings towards it. Yeah. Uh, the final bit of news uh, before we move on is, and this is something you didn't know before we went on air here, so I get to hear your reactions live to tape here, but. You know there's a new Batman game coming out, Mark. I am aware of that, yes. Batman Arkham Knight, they're calling it. Out in June. Uh, I believe it's the day I get back from visiting your good self during the summer. And um, it's supposed to be the kind of the conclusion to this trilogy of Arkham games, because I think we can all agree now that Arkham Origins wasn't part of that. This trilogy of Arkham games is coming out. People are excited for it. They're loving, you know, get to play around with the Batmobile can't wait to see what these kind of games look like with the the firepower of the PS4 and the Xbox One behind them. They announced the DLC this week, Mark. Uh-huh. The DLC for the $60 game. Right. It, it costs $40, Mark. Mm-hmm. And what are you getting for that, you might ask? I'm asking, what do you get for $40 on top of your well, $60 game? Allow me to tell you. You're getting character skins... Okay, that's starting off there. Variety of skins for Batman, Robin, Nightwing, and Catwoman. This is all coming from GameSpot, by the way. Purely visual aesthetics doesn't like enhance the game in any way. Indeed. Crime mm-hmm. Fighter Challenge Maps, which I think is a standard for the series. You have the, the Riddler challenges and stuff like that, so a few more challenges. That's fine. Not worth $40, but whatever. Legendary Batmobile with themed tracks. So again, more skin-related things. So you're going to be able to skin the Batmobile as the... Uh, 
kind of whether it's the Adam West Batmobile or the kind of the Tim Burton Batman movies, Batmobile, whatever it may be. Uh, then they're talking about doing some bits of story DLC. Um, they have a thing here, Gotham City Stories. Now, they're only promising that through your $40, you'll get six months worth of this stuff. So whether they have more past that and they're expecting you to fork out another $40 six months from now remains to be seen. Uh, the main interesting thing, I think the one, if I'm honest, that they, they're trying to get the they're trying to get the hooks into the Batman fans with is this story, Batgirl, a matter of family, they're calling it, which I've described here on the GameSpot article as an all new prequel story expansion in an entirely new location where you play as Batgirl for the very first time in the Arkham series. And included in this article is a first kind of render of what Batgirl might look like in the series. And just before we kind of, I, I, I ask you your thoughts, are, are you familiar with the story of Batgirl in the comic books? Uh, I'm more, f- my, my most, what I'm most aware of when it comes to Batgirl is uh, Alicia Silverstone in Batman and Robin, which I feel is not a fair reflection of Batgirl or Batwoman. It would be fair to say that, all right, that is not a fair, uh, that is not exactly the most accurate. Well, to sum it up, and not to bore everybody who isn't into comic books, basically, Batgirl is Jim Gordon's daughter, Barbara Gordon, who in a very famous book, a very famous comic book, The Killing Joke, which you might have heard of, she gets shot and paralyzed by the Joker. So what people are kind of clamoring for is, because we know the character she becomes after she becomes uh, after she gets paralyzed, Oracle, who's kind of a, a go-to person when Batman's in trouble to kind of get information, to kind of be monitoring Gotham, things like that. Because we know Oracle's in the game and Batgirl's in the prequel, what people are assuming is that maybe they're kind of tacitly saying, without actually saying, that if you pay your $40 for this game, we're basically going to give you the killing joke, the game, if you get where I'm coming from. Okay, yep. Um, what do you think about this? Like, for a couple of bits of story DLC, like, we know nothing more than a couple of lines for each one and a load of skins. Two months before the game comes out, they're saying, you know what, you've paid $60 already, give us another 40 I could get angry about it, but the simple fact is people have the ability to vote with their wallets, and that's kind of the key thing when it comes to DLC. And the simple fact is people do vote with their wallets and they actually pay, pay for this kind of stuff. And while we do keep paying for this kind of stuff, companies will keep doing this kind of thing. Um, so while I do have my opinions that I'm not... We, we started this podcast and I was praising Nintendo for their uh, DLC uh, that they brought out. But you know I feel that that was done in a pretty respectful and well-crafted manner. And also didn't cost $40 or the equivalent. That was like about 11 quid, I think for me over here and you know that gave me that gave me about half a game essentially of what Mario Kart is it seems like a lot of money for the the nonsense that you get now to be fair and now you'd said all to me like I had I have read the the killing joke and and the idea of turning that into um a game of some description is a pretty cool thing to do but at the same time you're like I just just want the fucking game that you know you've given me or are going to give me um We'll kind of worry about all that sort of stuff afterwards. Yeah, it's... I don't know, I mean, it, it does keep the interest... I, I think that it's in some way a market employee just, you know, to keep the interest drumming up about Arkham Knight. Um, and in that instance, it's, it's a pretty good thing to do. It's a pretty smart thing to do. Um, I do think it is a lot of nonsense, though. But, again, as I said, uh, people have the ability to 
not pre-order and not buy DLC, but the fuckers are going to do it, so what can you do? It's just, it, it's a, as you said, I have my own opinions on it as well, and if we were to get into the kind of minutiae of it, we could be here all night, but I, I've personally only, or a season pass or anything like that, twice ever, and it was Mario Kart, obviously, as we spoke about earlier in the show, and uh, Bioshock Infinite as well, a game I have an awful soft spot for. Um, the Bioshock Infinite now was, wasn't was $40, it was a fair whack less. I think I ended up getting it for €20 Euro or something like that in the sale on the PS Store. But that now in itself had two substantial, large pieces of kind of additional story. Now, not the kind of additional story that you'd feel if I completed the main game I need to get to get the full experience. It's stuff you could easily do without. But for fans of the franchise, it was fantastic because it it broke my brain in new ways that I didn't think were, was possible after the conclusion of Bioshock Infinite. But uh, there you have it. No, we'll, we'll leave it at that because I think there's an entirely uh, larger discussion on kind of uh, how we feel about DLC that we could accidentally stumble into and all of a sudden it's tomorrow morning. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Well, we will leave the news there and uh, we'll answer yeah. the, the well, final... Just to... Well, now, Mark, jump, jump on the gun there, sir, for a second. I'm just going to run through um, just one very quick thing and it's just the list of things that are coming out on PS Plus for this month. Uh, just going to run through these, not spend a lot, an awful lot of time on these at all because I realise we are running short on time and you're eagerly waiting to talk uh, about a game that has a, uh, a special place in your heart. But uh, going out on PS Plus this month for the month of May 2015, so leaving the store or leaving the PS Plus offers, should I say, are Never Alone, Tower of Guns, Aru's Awakening, Dishonored, Killzone Mercenary and Monster Bay. And in this month, we've got a a fair few interesting games here. I had a look on the uh, PlayStation blog there before we started the show and kind of had a look through a few of these games uh we've got ether one for ps4 which is uh, from white paper games uh, it seems to be a very interesting puzzler um i'd recommend anybody that uh, is interested check out the trailer it seems very strange uh, the premise of it seems to set out that there's two different tracks depending on how much you kind of want to get into it there's if you just want the kind of the scenic route you can just breeze through the game do a lot of easy puzzles but if you want to dive deeper there's a much more complex route to the game looks quite nice uh i'm I'm very interested to play it when it comes out on the store on wednesday we've also got ho hokum which everything i know about this game it's for ps3 ps4 and vita tells me that it's probably what it would be like to be on acid for a considerable amount of time it seems like the craziest weirdest thing i am not sure what the purpose of it is uh it just looks it looks gorgeous looks gorgeous but it looks very very strange very very strange it's like uh, an interactive lava lamp uh then we've got and i think it's a game that you you have a soft spot for mark uh guacamelee super hey. turbo championship edition for ps4 only oh fuck's sake um, it's a great game so you're you're a fan of guacamelee i i give four uh four marks to guacamelee it's a fantastic game very excited about that particular one i actually never got the chance to play it because by the time i got my vita last year there was so much i had to play that i never got round to guacamole and uh well now it's going out on my ps4 for free so you know suck it sony uh unfinished swan is coming out on ps3 ps4 vita then we've got race the sun which is a very interesting kind of um you're a solar powered craft and you kind of have to race around obstacles and try and stay in the light so that you don't crash and burn and die. Very minimalist kind of art style to it. Looks interesting enough. I actually reviewed the developers of that about a year before they released that 
for uh, oh. for on on analog stick back in the day. Check it out, guys. Yeah, that was very very nice guys. It was uh, it's a very good game actually. Uh, having played, is that. it? Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's really cool. It's I don't know if you've ever played. Um, there were I don't know if you ever played like when you was in secondary school back in back in the day and you was kind of in the IT room and you was faffing about on the internet and they had um, the kind of game where it looks a little bit like Star Fox and you uh, it was like an endless runner and you had to find a spaceship and you had to avoid obstacles kind of you know coming at you you had to turn left and right yeah it's kind of a little bit like that but you know for twenty fifteen yeah that's very much what it's like but it, it looks it, it looks nice the MLS art style looks very good and uh, again another one that you know it's free I'm going to play it yes. like, let's be honest here. <laughs> And then the final one is Murasaki Baby is coming to the Vita. So that's your PS Plus lot for this month. So I think we will hand it over to Mark, who has the first edition of our book club here on the show. Yeah, well, um, I mean, you know, this podcast is called A Link to the Cast, so it would only be fair that we start with The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, uh, a game that I hold near and dear to my heart. And it's the game that when you use the term a timeless classic with air quotation marks it's the game that I would bring up um, you know for, for a game that was released back in 1991 it still holds up now um, both visually and in terms of its actual gameplay mechanics because a lot of the stuff from that game is still used today in, in Zelda games that come out now and also in other games that are highly influenced by it uh, and that's pretty remarkable for something that came out you know, 20, 25 years ago or so, or thereabouts. Um, and it's a game that I can just pick up, you know, I, I'll play it through once a year, once every two years or so, because it's just... It's just so immediately accessible. Um, and a lot of it is that kind of nostalgic kick, but I think it's one of those games that anyone who hasn't never played this older game you could easily just hand that to them and let them go off for the weekend and have a grand old time. And, you know, you can do, it, do that with a lot of Zelda games, but that whole kind of timeless classic thing, um, it, you can make the argument about what the best Zelda game ever is, and it's not my favourite Zelda game ever, um, but, you know, that you compare that in Ocarina of Time, and I think Ocarina of Time, the original, not the remake, hasn't aged as well because it was in that early transition of 2D to 3D gaming. But, you know, with a link to the past, just the way that it looks, it it just it just still looks as as glorious now as it did back in nineteen ninety one. You know, it just has a really really nice art style to it. The music is, you know, it's ingrained in my head now. But it's it's got some classics that you know Nintendo still use and twist and turn into new versions of it uh, to this you know kind of current day. And uh, you know, it's original core inception it was going to be on the original nes but got moved over to production for or development for the super nintendo there's a couple of small differences between the original uh legend of zelda and the link to the past you know it's not as open world as um the original legend of zelda it's got a slight more kind of linear flow to it but you know it's still an open world and that's still pretty kind of mind-blowing for 1991 and, and playing it back then I'd imagine because you know I didn't play it then because I'd have been three years old but I imagine for games at that time you know just this kind of open world to explore um, and just how glorious and beautiful it looks and all the secrets to uncover oh I'm gushing now it's it's strange like you, you do and it's it's very similar to what I think a lot of people in our generation have is that like the game in, in terms of when it came out 1991 in uh, Japan 1992 North America and Europe 
um, it's interesting that kind of it was before our time because we were toddlers, and yet it's I think in my memory it's probably the first game of the SNES era that I was able to go back to. And th- there is this problem for a lot of games where when you try to go back, you highlight the problem of the 64-bit era, that there are just games that just don't play and hold up. Like, at the time, sometimes, like, obviously, and a lot of gamers uh, who kind of uh, saddle a few different generations when they've been playing for a while have the thing where they go back and they look at a game they played years and years ago and they go, I thought this was the most realistic-looking shit when I was a kid, and now it's just... It looks awful, but A Link to the Past is one of the first games where I went back. I didn't own a SNES at the time. My first console that I owned with my own money, well, I say my own money, it was money I got from my communion, was the N64. So when I eventually got my got a SNES from my auntie when she kind of was getting rid of hers, and I went back to play A Link to the Past, it was the first game from a previous generation that I think like it absolutely thoroughly held up for me just and it's and like you said it still holds up like in 2015 you can throw that game on it is still accessible it still looks fucking beautiful it the music the colors everything about it is just it's i don't want to say timeless because we don't know you know 20 30 years from now what gaming is going to be it's but fucking it's as close timeless to, it is yes it is as close to timeless as we can possibly get really like there you know what i mean there there are a few games i can think of that you could put on a level playing field with link to the past it is just it's damn near perfect it's a brilliant game talk for a minute there about it because you kind of um alluded to it there briefly the koji kondo soundtrack to the game the the, the composition um i've i don't know what you could really say about it that you can't really read about but um <laughs> I flummoxed you here. You've thrown me on the like, spot there. Like, there's a few bits of music, like the, the Dark Lord these themes. Are, these, are my, these are my Paxman questions to find out your commitment. You've never played the game at all, Mark. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, the, the Dark Lord theme uh, is, is phenomenal, um, and we need to get that back in some form or fashion. But just the, the main theme itself, the overworld theme, um, obviously it did exist on the original Zelda, but it's kind of the sort of main version of that theme that I think most people remember. And the simple fact is is you hear that fucking theme for most of the game because you're outside for most of it. But you never get bored of it. And every single time you hear it, you're like, right, fucking, we're going on an adventure now. Let's fucking do it. Um, it goes some way to describing how brilliant a game soundtrack from that era must be that in 2015, there are people who will pay not small sums of money, to go see an orchestra perform this music live. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that it I'm actually one of those people. translates, like, like when you think about, like, there are memorable video game themes and soundtracks from that era and before, themes and, and whatnot. But the fact that, like, the Legend of Zelda Orchestra is a thing, like, it really, like, highlights the legacy of this game and obviously other games it's not the only zelda game that we hear in orchestral form it sounds beautiful but it's amazing that a game from 1992 find the soundtrack from it finds a new life in a kind of orchestra it's it constantly amazes me yeah and for me as well like what is really become apparent um so i'm currently doing this really dumb thing where i play every single european mega drive game because i clearly <laughs> hate myself but playing is a number of games from that era, um, and even the games that are a couple of years older than 
uh, A Link to the Past, and they fucking pale in comparison graphically. And, I mean, there'll be people that will make arguments about between Mega Drive and, and um, the Super Nintendo, but, I mean, you only have to look at, like, the Sonic games to see what the Mega Drive could do graphically. But it's just astonishing just seeing how fucking horrendous some games looked at that time and seeing, you know, what A Link to the Past was like. And to be fair, there are a number of games sort of in the early 3D era that look pretty fucking horrendous, but something like Super Mario 64 still holds up pretty well now. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just a mastercraft in uh, in video game design. Um, you know, and, and some of the puzzles, to this day, I still get kind of flummoxed by a couple of puzzles every now and again. Yeah, it's just... I, I was hoping I was going to come into this and be a little bit more, you know, talk a little bit more theoretically about the game, but I can't help it when it comes to this. I tend to get a little bit more just, oh, it's really good, go and play it. Um, and the fact that, you know, I can just fucking have it welded against my face and play it on my Wii U pad is just, it's the greatest thing ever. It didn't invent the wheel, it perfected the wheel. And if you look at any kind of uh, open world adventure game nowadays, your your Elder Scrolls are the, the ones I'd naturally go to in my head. It's you don't have trouble making the connection there that Zelda and perhaps particularly Link to the Past had a, a mighty hand to play in inspiring the whole genre. Um, and like, look, <laughs> Skyrim quite popular from what I'm led to believe. So it's uh, it's, it's the news doing the rounds. It's what I've heard. Indeed, it's a, it's a testament to just how important the game is for the whole industry. Really, I uh, I completely concur. And uh, I think, you know, before we gush anymore and, and make people start to vomit in their mouths, uh, I think yeah. we should leave it at that for the time being. I've been thinking, Mark, that for when we do these uh, these book clubs and kind of what we're going to do, I think we discussed before, is that kind of every week one of us takes a look at a game and kind of, like we said, we a, a vocal love letter to the game as part of this segment. Yeah. Um. I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a Babe Ruth and I'm going to point where I'm going to hit the ball. I'm going to, before our second episode, if such a thing should happen, uh, I'm going to tell you what our book club is going to be. So hopefully anybody that might listen to this will go away, have a catch up with the game in question, and we'll have a conversation about it the next day. I like that. That sounds good. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm down with that in true book club fashion. So what I'm doing here is because I was appalled at your lack of sentimentality for the game, the one I'm going to, because it's quite topical, the game I'm going to go with is Banjo-Kazooie for the N64. Okay, that works for me. So uh, we'll go away, we'll have a play of that, and for an episode two, we shall talk about Banjo-Kazooie and, you know, many stories of me trying to wrangle strategy guides and the like. (laughs) I very much look forward to that. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, uh, yeah, for anyone that has uh, taken the time to listen to this, I appreciate it very much. Uh, there will be an episode two. I, I promise you that right now. Um, Excellent. Because I, I was kind of, I was kind of wondering if you know, as soon as we uh, end the recording here, you'll just go, "Well, that was shit. I never want to speak to you again." <laughs> Believe me, if if anyone was what letting aside down, the fuck down, is this me. this Mick over here talking about? What? <laughs> Trust I me. thought we put to bed centuries of cultural tension to talk about our love of uh, video games, but. Whatever. I hadn't even taken into consideration the the you know UK Irish connection sort of thing here. I thought that that would even needed to be something that would need to be brought up. <laughs> well, you see, it's all in my head at the moment because right. in 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 a uh, in a kind of uh, spoiler to what I do, I I teach history, and uh, lately I've been teaching a load of rebel songs in my classes that have uh, 
not great things to say about your fine people. <laughs> I personally have no problem with, but these songs seem to have quite a bone of contention. It, believe me, after the news of the last 24 hours about a fucking child being born, I don't have a lot of great things to say about my country at the moment, so it's fine. Anyway, sure. Well, it's good to, it's good to know that uh, you don't quite hate me after this. <laughs> <laughs> No, I can never could do that. Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll carry this this conversation off air. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening to A Link to the Cast, and uh, we yeah we'll see you again next time. <laughs>